Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. And I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, what's the last thing you have broken? A mug, a Christmas mug. Did it upset you? It did. It did. You know why it upset me? Well, one, I liked the mug, but two, I fucking knew at the time I had too much going on. That's always what happens before I break a glass. What did you break? Wine glass. Mm. Oh, so much glass. Yeah, it was like so much glass. And it was funny because the same thing happened to me. I saw it sitting on my like dish drying mat on the counter and I was like that's too close to the edge of the counter and then like five minutes later I bumped into it and it broke yep that's mine was just butterfingers and I had too much in my butterfingers and I I dropped it you know little known fact how did you clean up the glass um I used a broom and then I used a wet paper towel to get the rest of it okay good because I found out not when I broke this because this was just a ceramic mug but the last time I broke a glass you should never use your vacuum cleaner because it can destroy your vacuum cleaner oh yeah no I wouldn't use I'm I'm a I'm a broom bitch up in here I love that so Wisconsin of you so Wisconsin of you <laughs> this week we're joined by Jenna Friedman and Megan Gailey to take on the following questions what's left to do during the lame duck congress What does our fascination with the horrific quadruple murder at the University of Idaho say about us? And how much praise can we possibly heap on White Lotus season two? All this and more right now. Alyssa, do you feel like you're army crawling toward the end of the year, just on your stomach? I am in the mud, dude. My gut is in the mud and I am just one elbow in front of the other trying to cross the finish line. I mean, the only thing giving me energy, it's not even like things are are super dark and depressing necessarily. It's just like, it's become, I don't know, it's the slog time of the year where it's like- The tank is empty. Yeah, the tank is empty. All of the lights are on. I've been using them to help me put makeup on when I'm in park uh, and I haven't been fixing my car and I'm really, really torturing this metaphor at this point. But we're almost to the end of the year. It's almost, it's like lame duck energy. We have lame duck energy. Yeah. Except we have no change of party coming. So we're really lame ducks. We're like, whatever, we don't care. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, in that spirit, there is something that we should talk about when it comes to lame duck and the lame duck session of Congress. Mm. When we were talking about this yesterday, you pointed out that Senator Amy Klobuchar is always on top of the boring but necessary legislation. She's keeping our democracy safe. (laughs) (laughs) She is. And she's doing it at a plus 30 in Minnesota, which is insane. Um, Can you explain a little bit about what Amy and company have been up to in the Senate during this lame duck session? Okay, Aaron. So seems we have a little problem. We all know the Electoral College is problematic, but so is how the Electoral College votes are counted. Uh, The 19th century law that governs this process currently is vague, poorly drafted, has been for 133 years, Uh, never really affected our day to day until Donald Trump and his goons tried reading into the ambiguities in this law. 
And it wasn't until January 6th that we realized how that could be really fucking problematic when Donald Trump was under the assumption that Mike Pence could just overturn the election by the counting of the votes. Mm -hmm. So the point of this overhaul is to remove any doubt that the vice presidential's role is ministerial only in counting electoral college votes. It would lift the threshold for members of Congress to force a vote on discounting presidential electors from just one member of the House and Senate each to one third both chambers to be able to do this. It would require governors to send electors to Congress for the candidates who won based on state law set before Election Day. No retroactive jiggery pokery would be able to happen. As of now, there is a bipartisan agreement. Aaron, even Mitch McConnell is on board with this shit, apparently. Hmm. So Congress is working on the spending bill known as the Omnibus to help keep the governor funded. If there's a deal in place for the Omnibus, which it looks like there might be, the idea is to attach this as an amendment and pass it through Congress. Okay, well, that seems remarkably sensible. And it would prevent future presidents from trying to use airbud logic <laughs> to overturn there's no rule that says the vice president can't overturn an election uh there's no rule that says the dog can't play golf um so now they're just saying yes there actually is a rule there's a rule and you know when was the original act enacted 1887 1887 i feel like at that point a lot of people who are writing the laws were suffering from various heavy metal poisonings, all kinds of stuff. Because in the early American history, everyone was constantly mildly drunk on alcoholic cider. Did you know that? <laughs> I didn't, but it seems it seems uh, very logical and reasonable. Yeah. I mean, that's why it always seems silly to me that we sort of like worship the founders to the extent that we do, because it's like, yeah, well, you know, everyone was basically like tipsy on cider. <laughs> but that's a whole nother episode for a whole nother time. Um, I want to talk really quickly about um, crypto and how I'm feeling very vindicated that I never could understand it. Is this where you explain what crypto is to me? <laughs> no, this is where I'm like, now I'm never going to have to know because it was always a fucking scam, just like I felt deep down in my gut because it didn't make sense to me. It was like, okay, so we use energy to make... No. And if anybody tries to send me an email explaining it, we don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. I don't care. Crypto is a scam, has always been a scam. And now one of the most visible faces of crypto, Sam Bakeman Freed, was arrested in the Bahamas for doing things that are super duper illegal with uh, client money. Now, years and years ago, Years and before I was writing, I worked at Merrill Lynch for a while. I needed health insurance. Listen, we've all had our moments in big banking. <laughs> right. In 2006, they were hiring everyone with a pulse. I did not make like tons of money doing it. I still owed student loans when I was done working there. I was most of the people who are working at like big banks are working in jobs where they are supporting people who are making a ton of money. Um, they are not themselves making a ton of money. Just just to caveat that. When I was working there, one of the first things they teach you is that when the customer gives you money, you can't just like use that money for your own purposes. No, that's like the number one rule. If someone gives you money in a savings account, you can't just like go buy shit with that money and then not have money to give the person to take money out of their savings account. That's why the federal 
reserve exists. Um, but I'm shocked that Sam Bankman Fried was just doing exactly that. He was taking customers' money and he was using it to do his own shit. Do his own shit. Yeah. Make donations to candidates, buy things. I mean, Aaron, ew, ew. Do you know what? Do you know what's funny? Just like, just two of us here. Mm -hmm. Would that ever fucking cross your mind? Would you, like, this is the thing I think is so fascinating of all these, like, people. Like, would you ever take people's money and think, you know what? I am so fucking smart. I'm going to make this money back after I give it all away and they're going to be fine. Yeah, I feel like that's called a gambling addiction. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I can't imagine it. The audacity, first of all. I also think, and I'm just, you know, I'm just being a little bit smug here with my like, well, 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 welling of this. But I think that um, a lot of people who believed in Sam Bankman fried and FTX and cryptocurrency as like the future of investing um, were kind of just buying into hype that they that pre-existed and they weren't really figuring out on their own whether or not this made sense. You know, mm -hmm. they're kind of showing up to the parade and the emperor was like parading naked through the street and they were like, we're not He's, he's got to be wearing clothes, right? He's totally wearing clothes. They're somewhere. That's a great outfit. Like we're, we can all see the outfit. I feel like that happens a lot. It's like something that is like scammy, but can be made to sound smart is sold to people who don't want to seem dumb. It is the core principle of the Theranos scandal. Yeah. All those smart people on her board, like secretaries of state and shit. And they were like, hmm. I don't want to seem like I don't understand it. So I'm going to take her word for it. Mm -hmm. It would be like if I really wanted to um, make myself out to be like super intelligent. And I just totally made up a book that didn't exist and talked about how I'd read it. And it changed my life. And like everyone just pretended that they'd also read the book, but the book like never really existed. existed. Yeah, it's just there's there is so much in America that is propelled by a desire for people to feel as though. They understand something better than everybody else, uh, or they are keeping up with something that seems smart, but really they don't get what's going on at all. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I mean, this is like when this whole scandal happened, I was like, God, does this mean I'm going to have to finally learn what crypto is? But I don't because it's over. <laughs> According to me. You can learn what crypto was. R.I.P. Yeah, R.I.P. I mean, it's still around. People are still investing in it and stuff. And I just a few months ago, Josh told me, like, I think I want to invest a little bit in crypto. And I was like, no, you don't. If you can't explain an investment vehicle, don't invest in it. Like, I'm no financial genius, but I think if you can't, like, give me the Cliff's Notes version of what the thing is that you're investing in, then maybe it's not for you. You know, mm -hmm. like people who play the options market, it's like, can you explain to me what this is? And if you can't, then maybe do something a little bit more simple. But whatever. Yeah. Invest in Apple. I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> invest in building a time machine to go back into the 1980s and invest in Apple. True. True. Yeah. But anyway, no, this is not an investment podcast. We don't pretend to know what to do with money at all. No. We just save it the best we can. Yeah, exactly. Um, do we have anything, anything else we want to talk about in this kind of sloggy slog week or are we good? I think we're good. 
You think we're good? <laughs> Did you watch White Lotus? No, tell me about it. Can you can you do what? me this? Can you tell me if I should watch it? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Tell me what you love the most about it. What I love the most about it is, first of all, the device that kicks off every season is brilliant. Someone finds a dead body. Who is it? And who killed them? Right. Um, and watching each individual story unfold um, and sometimes entwine, but sometimes just not entwine. They just happen parallel to each other. Um, it's just really good writing. This season is really like subtle um, and smart. Oh, okay. And um, Jennifer Coolidge is an actual goddess. Okay. Uh, Aubrey Plaza is a star. I started watching the first few episodes and she's who I was drawn to. But then I was like not really into it, but I really need I'm going to get back into it. I'm going to give it another chance because I loved last season. Yeah, it's slower this season, but it really speeds up at the end. And I think Mike White, who is the like director, creator, writer of the show, is like a genius. And I loved this season so much. I went back and I started rewatching Enlightened. Did you ever watch Enlightened? No, no. Laura Dern. It was like one of those shows. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. I, wa- I, I was not addicted to it, but I have watched it. It's like one of those shows that was considered a comedy that is like absolutely not a comedy. Also, our <laughs> friend Michaela Watkins is in it. Yes. And she's great. Um, but it's really good and it's really smart. And I feel like he's got a lot of insight into relationships that you don't often see written out or like depicted on screen. And um, yeah, I, I just, I just really, really loved it. See, you went back and watched Enlightened. I started Sister Wives from season one of 17. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, have you watched all of them already? No. So over the last 12 years or 15 years, I have watched them all, but. So you're re-watching them. I'm re-watching them because. First wife, Christine, wife number three left him. First Christine left him several months ago. And now I am happy to report that Janelle fucking left his ass too. I love her. I think we would be friends. And so now I'm going back to look for clues to see all throughout why they were, why they ended up leaving him. I mean, it was obvious to me he's annoying as hell. But no, I'm I'm doing the forensics on 17 seasons of Sister Wives. Oh my God. Um, wow. That, that is, that's dedication and I have to respect it. Um, speaking, <laughs> speaking of, um, one item of news that I saw this morning that I was like, Hmm, is this a metaphor? Um, hmm. so scientists in Israel have figured out a way to genetically modify hens. So they only lay female eggs. No shit. And that's because, um, when a chickens lay eggs, regardless of what their eggs have been fertilized. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the chicken industry, in the egg industry, if a chick is born and it's a male, it's just discarded. Oh, like, yeah. So like something like 7 billion male chickens are just like discarded every year. They're just not useful. Like they take up space, they get in fights, they're aggressive. That seems sad. <laughs> it is really sad. But like, it's funny that like chicken breeders are like, hmm. The males not helpful. Not helpful. What if we? What if only females? And I was like, hmm. It feels like it reflects some broader trends in the world. Social attitudes <laughs> I've I've witnessed lately. Um, but that's another conversation for another time. Congratulations to all those male chickens that aren't going to be born and have to deal with the horrible life of being in a barn. I guess. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. That's all the news that we feel like talking about this week. And uh, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. Personal political. Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I love that for Viore. You know what? That seems like a real perk of Viore. (laughs) It is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. It's great. <laughs> five the, stars. No comment. 100% great. That's the type that's my favorite sport. The new the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging which features a high waist drawstring tie and upgraded no slip fit. All things that are absolutely essential in a legging. Essential. Uh, I love these leggings. They are cuz you know like not everybody's the same. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like I need a little bit more room around my booty. So I size up a little bit, but then it's t- usually too big in my waist. And so now I just just pull that drawstring exactly. and I don't, show, I don't show any crack when I bend over. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. See, you have your baby and I have my butt crack. <laughs> <laughs> For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh my gosh, Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to. Yes won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pr- Viore played a role in his ultra marathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at the dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. 
Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com and enjoy your edible. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, paid for by Vote Save America, votesaveamerica.com, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. And welcome back. Alyssa, we've talked about true crime on this mm-hmm. podcast before, and we all feel mixed about it. Um, but yeah. we cannot yet resist the urge to dive down rabbit holes every once in a while when certain things happen that that grab the national attention. There, Everyone's got a little Nancy Grace in them. You know, everyone has a little Nancy Grace, a little Nancy Drew, especially when you send me Reddit links that I can't escape from because I get drawn so deeply into them. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm really excited that we have the panel we have today because, well, first of all, we have a really special guest. And second of all, we've got a really special regular person on the panel. Um, Our guest, our first panelist is a comedian, writer and the creator of Sundance TV, AMC Plus's show, True Crime Story Indefensible, where she travels the country to dissect the mess that is the U.S. justice system. Her stand-up special, Lady Killer, is on Peacock right now, and you can pre-order her book, Not Funny, Essays on Life, Comedy, Culture, etc., which is coming out in April 2023. Jenna Friedman, welcome to Hysteria. Thank you for having me. Um, congrats on uh, your family. First of all, before we get to talking about murder, congrats on... Thank you. <laughs> How, how's everything? How's everything going? I mean, it's a lot, (laughs) but it's going, it's good. He's healthy. That's all that matters. That's great. Um, Well, we're really glad to have you. And I can't wait to talk more about True Crime Story Indefensible. First, I'm going to bring in our next panelist. Our next panelist is performing at Jimmy Kimmel's Comedy Club in Las Vegas on January 8th. You know her, you love her. It's Megan Gailey. Megan. Hi. Have we ever had a more tired hysteria panel? Between the like, wow. Combined sleep in this crew right now, probably not reaching 12 hours. I would say between the four of us, we've had a healthy eight hour night of sleep. Okay, between great. The four of us. And and let's be honest, I picked up most of that eight hours for all of you. Guys. I, and like <laughs> you're doing the work, but you're a mama too to your sweet cats. And who knows what they're doing at your house? <laughs> they're making biscuits in my face at two in the morning. Mm. Oh, no. Well, um, uh, yeah, we're, we're all very tired, but we're going to make the best of this panel. Uh, Jenna, I want to start with you. Congratulations on True Crime Story Indefensible. Um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how the idea came to you? So I was actually doing a stand-up set on Conan, uh, making fun of the true crime industrial complex. <laughs> and AMC reached out to me and a couple other comedians, and they were thinking of uh, launching this franchise, which is now called True Crime Story. And they wanted to see if I could make true crime funny. And I, my first instinct was no, 
Um, but then the pandemic happened and I lost six months of touring and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to give it a whirl. And so um, they gave us a little bit of development money, which is kind of unheard of. Like, this is a show I never would have been able to sell myself. It just kind of came about because the network wanted to do it. And um, they partnered me with Left Right Productions and we created a pilot presentation. And we really hit a home run with that because... It was about um, the murder of Alana Steinberg, who was stabbed in her sleep by her husband. He got away with it. And his defense um, brought in this legendary expert witness. Um, His name is Martin Blinder, and he's most known for the Twinkie defense, which in the assassination of Harvey Milk and um, Mayor Moscone in San Francisco, uh, they brought in this expert witness who said that Dan White, the guy who killed them, had eaten too many Twinkies in the weeks leading up to the trial and that impaired his judgment. And the jury bought it. And so this guy is like an expert witness for hire. And I sat down with him and I interviewed him. And it, it, you know, it was really awful, but also my comedy comes from a lot of it is kind of confrontational and um, messing with people a little bit uh, from my work at The Daily Show as a producer for Field Pieces. Anyway, this is a very long-winded way of answering your question, but um, we were able to kind of find a format where it wasn't LOL, but there was humor in us confronting people who perpetuate injustice. So far, we've gotten really great feedback, and again, the comedy comes from us confronting people that they were maybe unable to confront or it provides a little bit of a catharsis because it's not just traditional true crime it's like how does this keep happening and what can we do about it and that's what motivates us sitting down with like a defense attorney who gets a guy off from murdering a woman with a crazy defense or a prosecutor who doesn't see defendants as victims as well or Dr. Martin Blinder an expert witness who just is blinded by his misogyny and jury somehow by his testimony. Um, So that's, I know it doesn't sound funny, but that's kind of where the humor comes from. (laughs) Um, I watched the Casey Anthony episode uh, and I thought it was great. Did you have a favorite episode out of the season? So we've done 12 episodes in total. I think my favorite one is episode two. It's about consent defenses or like the rough sex defenses it's called. And that's something that I really wanted to, to um, I don't want to say tackle because I'm like, why are, why are we so violent as a culture? Um, but that's something that I really have wanted to um, beat this shit out of yeah. for a really long time. <laughs> um, and, and we had really, we had access to the granddaughter of the victim and she's studying criminology herself and she was incredible in the episode and we got access to the defense attorney who got the killer off and that I mean, I I'll spoil it, but the episode, basically the defense attorney can convince a jury that a woman choked on this guy's dick. Um, and there might not have even been a sex act involved, but she was this like self-made immigrant woman. And she was murdered by this guy who stayed with the body for three days. And he <gasps> undoubtedly murdered her and he got away with it. And he's dating now in Florida. And, um, his defense attorney did a really good job and it was a really challenging episode because it's like, how do you cover this without making it um, a commercial for the defense attorney? How do you uh, take back this person's story? Like her whole family was in shock by her murder, but then on top of it, she was slut shamed by the media. 
So it had all these elements of just kind of trying to give the granddaughter a voice and take back a, a narrative that was totally lost by the murder and then the subsequent media coverage of it. So that to me was like the sweet spot of the show. And also consent offenses are outlawed in parts of the UK, but they still exist here. So if enough people like give a shit, we could try to write legislation that outlaws that defense because at the end of the day, no one during a sex act consents to die that mm. way. And it's really hard to accidentally strangle someone. We talked to a medical examiner in that episode who really like told us how hard it was in a way that wasn't like giving killers tips. But mm. um, so that to me was my favorite. The Casey Anthony episode was really, I don't want to say fun, but it you're so far removed from that actual crime. And there was so much about it that I don't think we covered as a culture, which was really like the media fixation on it. Mm -hmm. So that was like the fun part. And I think like with our show, it's not traditional true crime. The first act is, okay, you guys want true crime. So we're going to use that as a Trojan horse to talk about larger systemic injustices. So that's kind of like how I convince myself what I'm doing is not ethically murky. You know, we get consent from the victim's families. We uh, make it less about the actual case and more about the systemic injustice. And I've had like women who have like, you know, Trump on their Twitter handle retweeting the show. And I'm I'm not I've never thought I could reach those people. But I do think that true crime can be kind of like a touch point where it's like if you care about violence against women, maybe you won't vote for men who beat their wives. You know, like that. Mm -hmm. I think that you can connect to people across political divides with murder of women <laughs> um, and men. Yeah, I find um, the point you're bringing up about people, true crime being a way to talk about systemic injustice is really interesting because it, it goes well with the specific instance that I wanted to get into with our panel today, which is the um, quadruple homicide and uh, in Moscow, Idaho, where four college students, uh, Xander Canoodle, Ethan Chapin, Kaylee Gonsalves, and Madison Mogan were all found stabbed to death in their house on November 13th. It's now a month later. The police have no suspects. There is a ton of like online sleuthing going on. And one thing that I found is interesting about this case that I don't think you would have seen maybe five years ago is a lot of the chatter among like online sleuths and even on like true crime podcasters and true crime pundits going on like HLN and talking about it or whatever is People are saying like, hey, maybe the police aren't very good at this. And I don't think that that's something that like you would have seen before. Uh, Jenna, what has been your like, have you been keeping up with the case? Have you been keeping up with the way people are talking about it? And what's your take? Well, I think we also um, there's a distinction between crime, right? And true crime. True crime feels like it's this, like um glossing over actual series of events for public consumption, right? Mm -hmm. Could we, so I haven't been following that case actually at all. I'm, I'm, I'm burnt. I'm a little burnt out on, on murder. I'm also burnt out on true crime, but um, to your point, I do think, you know, there are a lot of criticisms of the genre um, and there are a lot of uh, reasons. I think it's criticized like is true crime criticized more than football, which also is problematic in so many ways. Is it because it's like a predominantly female genre uh, is true crime criticized for all the reasons that are valid? Yes, it should be. Um, but one cool thing about it is that it is 
I don't want to say waking people up, but it is giving people an understanding of the criminal legal system and um, a counterbalance to copaganda that I think is a net positive for our society. Mm-hmm. Um, for a case like this to not have any leads, yeah, I think it's making it obvious that maybe the cops don't do everything law and order says they do. Yeah, it's it's funny, like in a lot of true crime stories, it'll like they'll depict the serial killer as like, oh, he was a genius. And it's like, no, he was just like slightly smarter than the cops. You know, like he wasn't uh, was he a genius? Megan, have you been following this case? And do you have any thoughts on it? I really end up kind of tapping out on these things because I get so afraid. I'm afraid of horror. I was like raised in the era of chain emails where it's like, if you see a red car at a gas station, (laughs) you're going to die. You know, so like, I think whatever the version of true crime was in the 90s and the aughts really frightened me. And that's probably some bit on my mother and Dateline. But (laughs) I, I do think... I find myself leaving true crime. Like when you have a kid, you have the capacity for only so much. And and true mm-hmm. crime was probably one of the first things off the plate because it just was like, oh, the world is too fucking scary. And like, I can't consume this as fun while also breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say like Naomi and I have to watch, not have to, we get to watch an insane amount of Lifetime movies. And some of them are ripped from the headlines, but all of them across genre are a cab. Like in them, the cops do nothing. And it's like mm-hmm. very obvious who the killer is, what they're doing, what their plan is. And it is never a cop ever solving the crime. And I think situations like Michelle McNamara and, and these people that have been able to not be detectives and not be within the police force help solve crimes is giving power and some of it not great and some of it great to outside people across the world too uh what was the the there was a documentary during the must love cats or like that blew up like Don't we fuck with cats yeah like we see these cases where People on the internet solve them, and it is because cops are stupid most of the time. <laughs> um, Alyssa is holding up a yes! cat. This is uh, this is a, an audio medium, but Alyssa is currently holding up a cat. Alyssa, has Chunky you- loves hysteria, <laughs> <laughs> and true nobody loves true crime more than cats. I think a cat would a cat would walk through a crime scene and be like, "I didn't see anything. <laughs> Just fade me." Um, Alyssa, what are your thoughts on the homicide in Idaho and why it has become such a focus of national attention? Okay. Well, one, obviously, (laughs) four white kids, national attention. Um, But it's also just beyond, like, to what Jenna and Megan were saying, like, you guys, how are there no fucking leads at this Mm -hmm. point? I mean, now you've got, like, like, this isn't, it's interesting because when you think about it, you're like, well, if it happened in New York City, would they have leads by now? Because there are cameras everywhere. And it's like, mm-hmm. like this, this, because I went down the Reddit on this, I was like looking at the sleuths, you know, the the online criminal hunters. And I was just like, fuck, yeah, that's a great point they make. Fuck, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, why aren't the cops? How have they not? Like, like one of the things they're like, well, yeah, there were like we found out. I think that people get. 
I think people get fascinated when they think just like straight up the truth is willfully not being told. And they're Mm -hmm. like, "Mm, even I can see that there's something afoot here. Mm -hmm. And I think in this case in particular, it's like been a month. There were just so many facts that were not even remotely disclosed. Like there were other roommates in the house. The roommates came home before the people were murdered. Like the roommates got home at one. They said the time of death was around 145. I mean, there were so many. And as I went down the route, now I don't know if these people were talking truth or not, but I was like still into these sleuths who had clearly done so much work. I was just, I was now I am fascinated by it before I had really not even heard about it. But then it's like the longer it went, I was like, wait a minute, what? They still haven't found anybody. Um, But it's not even that. There's just there's zero leads. They didn't take their cars into custody for like weeks. Like, what the Mm -hmm. fuck? I know it snowed out there, but they got tow trucks. So I think that, you know, part of it now is people are like, who's going to solve it? Because nobody thinks the cops are on their shit with this one. And, you know, especially because when the Internet sleuths have come up with options that have the cops have been confronted by, where reporters are like, well, how about this? They're like, we have no information at this time. Mm-hmm. And and if they have a lead, they're like, we have no leads at this time. So um, I think that it's people being like, I can do your job better. Watch me. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's kind of the vibe. Alyssa, Mm -hmm. out of pure curiosity, do you Mm -hmm. think the cops are covering something up or do you think it's incompetence? I think it's incompetence. I don't feel like they're covering up for anybody. It feels like, you know what the truth is? I feel like if they were covering up for somebody, they'd actually have more nuanced, like they'd have a better answers, yeah, better answers because they'd know they'd know where the clues were going to lead. So they could reverse engineer sort of if that's what they were doing. But this is just like, nope, folks, we'll let you know when we have something. And it's like, if you're the kids on that campus, there's some fucking murderer running around who got away with killing four people a month ago. I would personally be quite alarmed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The parents of kids who are still on that campus. I mean, yeah. A lot of them left, actually. I would too. And are finishing out the term remotely. And um, it's really strange. It's a weird story. I feel like the people online are getting involved from out of like out of whatever is at the root of them wanting to be involved comes from a good place like they want to help right there are worse things you could do on an online message board so right being a true crime yeah. sleuth is pretty amazing <laughs> um jenna i wonder if and when you were making your show and like prepping for it if you got to talk to people that were like online sleuths or people who had helped solve crimes or anything like that and and if you didn't then like why did you make that decision we haven't done an episode i think that there's a valid episode to the phenomenon of online sleuthing uh we haven't done an episode on that and so our process is i find a story with the team that feels like there's been an injustice talk to the family and then you branch out from there so the internet Peanut Gallery hasn't really been a part of the process of making the show yet. Mm-hmm. Is there any story that you wanted to cover in making the show that you didn't get to yet? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what I can say or not, but I definitely wanted. Well, I I don't know. <laughs> I should say it. <laughs> Are yeah. you going to kill someone, Jenna, and then reverse engineer <laughs> no. the show? I wanted to cover the 
rape cops it's really not the right term but in new york city i i was living in the east village in 2011 mm-hmm. when these two police officers took turns like either watching and raping a woman um and then when you just kind of zoom out you can like sexual assault among police is is really endemic and i wanted to touch on that and i think you know i think that that's still on the table to do a, a story about that our lead-in is law and order so <laughs> you know with a show like ours there there's so much that we get away with that was in season one that I really wanted to do that but I mean to the credit of the network I I really like we got a jokey fetus lawyer sketch on this season and I mean they're they weren't signing up for like actual comedy comedy when when they greenlit the show and that they've been incredibly cool and receptive and they've given us a lot more leeway than I expected but I think and it's changing now I think that with everything going on, anyone working in this space or greenlighting shows in the space has broadened their horizon for what they will accept uh, as content. <laughs> but I think that there's, you know, a hesitancy among network executives to kind of criticize law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and also, Jana, you were like pregnant when you were filming part of the show. like how I was how- so pregnant the last episode I'm crowning like <laughs> child should be in SAG <laughs> <laughs> um how was how that like experience because also like you know Megan and I both have kids also and it just like scrambles your brain and like in, and I'm not saying like oh mommy brain or whatever but there are like physical structural changes that happen to your brain and your amygdala and and fear you process fear more differently so how were the changes that you were undergoing as a pregnant person impacting the way that you confronted these stories? So I did, it's um, the last batch of episodes. It's all one season online. So I say season one and two, but the first batch were like a, a year and a half ago. And then this, so the first six are very dark and they're horrifying. And I sat down for hours with victims' families and talked to people who hadn't necessarily processed their trauma. In one case, a woman was murdered like a couple years ago, like to 2018. So it's just, it was really, really heavy. So when I found out I was pregnant, I just kind of didn't want to do stories that dark because just too much. I was like getting like secondary trauma from those interviews. Uh, so that was one thing. Um, but I was actually surprised. I had a pretty easy pregnancy and the amount of work, like I was literally shooting when I was 36 weeks pregnant. Um, The amount of work you can get done. And I also directed the series. So I was in the edit, working with the editors, directing, shooting, uh, producing, hosting towards the end of my pregnancy. And I think that you know, I, I, before I got pregnant, I didn't know that that was possible. So I think when you're pregnant, you can, you can still work. Uh, We can still work. Um, and we should be allowed to work and we should be given opportunities. The post-pregnancy is where all the shit hits. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know if I'm ever going to work again. He's crying all the time and only sleeps when I'm holding him. I also wonder too, if people felt like, 
the most fun I've ever had doing stand-up was when I was pregnant because I would walk out huge and people were like, what is going on? Like, this is insane. I love, I saw you do that set at Virgil, at the Virgil. It was so funny. Yes. It's a great prop. I mean, yes. you can get away with, especially like in the field too. It's like, yeah. you don't, if you don't answer my question, you're going to stress out the baby. Right. <laughs> like it's very disarming, especially for, I think, men that pride themselves on the virtue of life to be like, mm. I'm here in front of you. And like, you are going to have to talk to me right now. And then, and they, they almost, I, I think it challenges sort of their concept of, are they the most important person on earth actually? <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I felt very vulnerable when I was pregnant, like, and um, you know, because what it isn't like murder the leading cause of death well one of the leading causes of death among pregnant women is homicide yes yeah. i found that out at like seven months when yeah. i was <laughs> like what what are we going to cover for our sixth episode or whatever <laughs> yeah it is yeah yes i felt vulnerable too there, it's weird there's like this vulnerability like just walking down the street i was like is someone gonna just jump out of a bush and stab me mm-hmm. um and then there. sorry that's my neuroses but then there's also <laughs> to your point megan this like power that you do have in very specific ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always felt like a character in a movie about a crime where it's like, if you see a pregnant character and she's married to a cop, either she or the person she's married, you know, someone's going to die involved in that pregnant, someone involved in that pregnancy is going to die. And there's something very, I mean, and also like, I wasn't worried about someone coming out and like stabbing me. I was worried about someone just like, bumping up against me and me falling down like right it's getting pushed yeah like I'm so it was just it's such an awkward time and like I I found like I sometimes can enjoy true crime that's like older than 15 20 years old because then it feels like maybe I don't know for whatever reason that's just like the moral line that I feel okay engaging with um, I guess maybe like prior to 1990, if it's like in the nineties, it feels anyway. Um, but like when I was pregnant, I found because I felt so vulnerable that thinking of, and I felt so like empathetic, it, I found it really hard for me to like, think too hard about violence and cruelty because it like upset me like really, really deeply. And I just, I, I wonder, I mean, Jenna, like the fact that you were able to put this together when you were like in that physical state is like pretty amazing to me. There's like a super cut we need to make that we don't have of just the outtakes in my first trimester when I'm like reading police reports, people having like semen found in different orifices and I'm just like gagging profusely. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> trying not to. And then I was like worried that my son was going to be a serial killer because he's mm-hmm. listening to me like edit, like blah, 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 <laughs> was stabbed 26 times, st- like, t- you know, and it comforts him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we started watching like we, me and the fetus. Oh my God. No, I, I started watching murder. She wrote while I was pregnant, just so he would have some like, so I feel like that's like so calming Jessica Fletcher. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, injustice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Alyssa, like, are you someone who engages with like true crime usually, or do you just kind of get sucked into rabbit holes when I send you links to things? No, I mean, you know that I, I mean, I've, I've watched more Law and Order than the average bear. 
you know, I mean, when I met Mariska Hargitay and asked her about an episode, she's like, I don't remember that. <laughs> she's like, you do, but I don't remember that. Um, no, you know what? I found it um, specifically, and I know I, I stipulate that there are a lot of problematic things about these shows, but I found uh, that I learned things like how to like I found them as useful tools in some ways. Like, how can I help protect myself? You mm-hmm. know, what should I you know, like what kind of people to avoid? <laughs> Never go to a sex party in the West Village. <laughs> but no, I uh, I also found that like. I really got into them during the Trump administration because I found that it was like the only place where there was some modicum of justice sometimes. And that was just like a real like that was like a real thing. I felt like I was watching so much stuff go unanswered, you know, publicly that, um, you know, the the best I could do was watch some crimes get solved by uh, Emmy Award winning actors and actresses. (laughs) Do you think that like true crime and specifically the cases that become like Nancy Graceified um, contribute to white women's idea that they are kind of like at the center of the universe? Oh, totally. I mean, look, for a hundred years, I mean, look, I guess my true my true true crime was uh, my fascination with so many Lifetime movies before, which weren't really true crime. They were just crimes against women who wore who wore shoes that were improbably, you know, not going to get them away from whoever they were running from. But um, no, of course, it's like, look what could happen to us, you know, and it's it's really we're not the we're not the issue. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. Jenna, Jenna, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that that the cases that people tend to fixate on contribute to like an overinflated sense that we as white women are like the targets of crime? I mean, I think all media and media representation uh, impacts how we view the world. That's my <laughs> politician answer on the outline. We talked about like Gabby Petito's case. That was a really interesting one in that it it touched on like all the kind of social media influencer, white woman, blah, 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 blah. But um, I do think, I mean, in our show, we we have episodes where we try to specifically call that out and focus on other stories. And I think the danger when you do center particularly true crime on white women is that when other women go missing and are murdered their stories get less attention they're taken less seriously and like you can see it in the statistics and so I think now because everyone has a microphone and everyone's on social media we're able to I keep saying tackle I don't know why (laughs) but like the (laughs) the blind spots in the criminal legal system and in our ability to you know give certain people justice while perpetuating injustice for other people um and missing white women syndrome which is a definite documented phenomenon but not to say that you know it's it's tricky because we're talking about like, oh, white women and we center ourselves, but we also do get murdered, you know? And so it's like, it's like two women are murdered. One's murderer might, you know, that her crime might get solved. Whereas another woman who's not white, her crime may never get solved. It's still injustice. And it, you know, and you want to level the playing field, but you also want women in general to not be murdered, nor men to get murdered. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's a tricky conversation to have. Right. Totally. Um, Megan, I just was, I was thinking about you saying that you would get like email forwards that were like, watch out for the red car or like whatever. I found that on social media right now, there's a lot of, and and, and by social media, I mean like Facebook. I mean, like mm-hmm. every week I see something that's like, 
oh, this is this is a sign that you're about to get trafficked. Yes, I saw one on TikTok yesterday that was like, if there's a tissue underneath the handle of your car, and I'm like, what? There's what? so much to, I get, this is what this woman on TikTok was saying. They put like substances on the tissue. And so when you touch them and then touch your face, it causes you to it's Vladimir Putin trying to like, traffic people <laughs> happening yeah no I've seen the TikTok videos too and they're yeah they're just for a younger generation <laughs> yeah I, I remember there was a, a girl who went missing at an NBA game like a 15 year old went to the bathroom was like there with her dad and then left with a guy and he had his like arm draped around her and there was footage of that and it's like what is like does she, did she know him? Like, was he an older boyfriend who was going to traffic her and she didn't know? Like, it's like, there's a lot of blanks and golly, I hope she's okay. I think it was a Mavericks game. She was found 10 days later. Mm. The thing about uh, true crime stories is that it is like an endlessly renewing well of harm and injustice. And I'm sure we will tackle this topic the next time there's a giant case that has everybody's fascination or there's like a circusy trial. Uh, Jenna, stick around. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Sanity Corner slash I Feel Petty. Beyonce, Katanji Brown Jackson, the lady who spent 500 days in a cave. Women are all around us. And this Women's History Month, The Crooked Store is celebrating with a pop-up shop featuring favorites from women of color-founded companies. For a limited time, the SheCommerce pop-up shop has everything from delicious goodies to kids' books to candles, all from small companies that we love. It is a great way to support women of color while treating a woman in your own life, maybe that's yourself, to a sweet distraction from the endless horrors that we face every single day. Happy Women's History Month to all. Check out what's in stock at crooked.com slash store for this month only. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at the dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back. Megan is still here with us. Jenna is still here with us. Alyssa is still here with us. We're going to do a little bit of housekeeping and then on to Sani Petty. If you've ever messaged a friend about a manager who won't stop texting after hours or a coworker who keeps posting weirdly suggestive Austin Powers gifts in Slack, you're not alone. On Work Appropriate, author and host Anne Helen Peterson sets out to find solutions to these oddly specific yet completely universal listener-submitted questions. 
Whether you work in an office chair or a sixth grade classroom, the problems may be limitless, but so are the solutions. Listen to Work Appropriate now wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Wednesday. House has been kept. Megan, Sanity Corner or I Feel Petty this week? I'm actually going to do Sanity Corner, shockingly. I'm in a good mood. The Lexapro is kicking. Um, It's my anniversary, (laughs) so shout out to my husband. Love you. You're cool. And then also, (laughs) I had an organizer come. And and that may sound like something for the elite. I don't believe it is. If you're in the business of trying to treat yourself around the holiday season, um, I think that organizers end up being pretty affordable. And she came, helped me clean out my closet, put things on prettier hangers, loaded it back in, and then took away everything I was donating. Because I'm one of those people all like, I'm going to donate all this stuff. And then it sits in my car for three years. And so that was like massive for me. And I got to chat with her. I got to find out about her relationship. Like it was kind of like I had a, I paid for a friend to come help me clean. And it was, it was amazing. I found her on an app and I'm sure that like they're everywhere far and wide, but it was money so well spent. And I did not have her do anything but my own stuff. She did not touch anything for the baby, my husband. It was just something for me. And I loved it. Ooh, amazing. I'm, I'm going to maybe hit you up for who that Okay. Is. Allie, Allie, I'll give you her number. Okay, yeah, do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm leaving town for a while, but uh, when I come back, I'm going to want to throw away all my shit. Uh, I have but- actually <laughs> multiple organizers on in my phone, so I'll give you Allie and Rachel. Love them both. Okay, awesome. Um, Alyssa, Sanity Corner or I Feel Petty this week? You guys, I'm going to do Sanity Corner. And first, I'm going to ask you all, have you ever watched the Jane Fonda documentary about the making of We Are the World? No, I didn't think so. You're welcome (laughs) for this gift. Um, I was overcome. I've watched it before, but I think I really needed it now. It is the most uplifting, goosebumpily (gasps) thing you could watch. Did you know that all of the artists got together after the AMAs? Lionel Richie not only coordinated all of the We Are the World and getting all of the stars to come, But he also hosted the AMAs and then they left and they worked through the night. Okay, Bruce Springsteen over here, Huey Lewis, Diana Ross. I mean, Dionne Warwick, everyone you could imagine. It was, guys, I got to tell you, it was nothing but joy. And Jane Fonda's hosting of the doc, it's only like an hour, is so 1985 fabulous. It's like she does the quick turn. And then (laughs) like Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, what a fucking genius. Like I knew it, but watching him like conduct this orchestra of the fanciest people ever. And I think what made me feel so good about it is like, guys, I don't think that shit would ever happen now. These people dropped everything they were doing. Bob Geldof had just come from Africa because it was all for USA for Africa to help the famine. And he had just come back from there and gave everybody this like, who are we? This is what's happening. We have to help. And he gave like this real sort of like what he saw eyes on the ground. It was just and he was also like, let's not pat ourselves on the back. This is kind of the least we can do. And I was just I kind of was like, God, was I meant to be Bob Geldof? Did I make a wrong turn somewhere? I think I could have coordinated something like this. But anyway, that's where I centered myself. And I stopped because I really needed to center everybody else. And anyway, I'm just telling you, if you are sitting there baking cookies or cleaning out your closet, put it on your iPad. Just watch it. It'll make you feel fucking groovy. It really will. 
Alyssa, you don't think the Imagine video was our version of that? (laughs) You know what? Oh, God. Actually, when you watch this, when you see Christy Brinkley dropping off Billy Joel, when you see Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder, it is like, you guys, honestly, I'm getting a little verklempt just talking about it. Turn it on. Enjoy yourself. Merry Christmas. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I I will maybe watch it in the car on my You'll enjoy it. It won't, it won't do you dirty. Everything you're saying is so bleak right now. <laughs> uh, well, I actually have a sanity corner this week. Um, so for maybe years, but it's kind of come to a head in the last few months, I've realized that something really missing from my life has been um, a plate that is actually also a bowl, like a plate bowl. And there's And things are either bowls or plates. It's very difficult to find a plate bowl where you could have like a plated food or something a little soupy in it. Anyway, I found some plate bowls. Uh, I, I found some in Little Tokyo and I got a set of some like perfect plate bowls. And um, you can put you eat a cur- you can serve a curry and rice on them. You can just have like a steak on them. And it, a it's salad. Really- a salad, a salad. Yes, it's per- they're perfect for a salad because like no lettuce is falling off the edges of the plates. Although lettuce is really expensive now, I guess, because of some some California thing. I don't know. Lettuce is going to get you a surcharge at restaurants. But anyway, um, if you can afford salads at this point, uh, a plate bowl is great. And I'm, I'm so glad that I found them. And it's really making me happy. These just one small thing in my kitchen making me feel great. It's delightful. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my sanity corner. Jenna, are you feeling petty or do you have a sanity corner this week? I have a sanity corner. What? We went um, four for four sanity wow. That's a rare. Because we are slogging it across the finish line. Really, really, Anything really that gives us hope. To the end of the year, yeah. It's so basic, but I really enjoyed White Lotus. Mm-hmm. Oh. I enjoyed, like I wanted to binge it, but I also like that HBO was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> one at a time and I just I enjoyed all the characters I really I know that there was criticism about it but I just it was something I don't watch a ton of tv so when I do I like to make it count and I really liked it mm-hmm. yeah yeah were you surprised by uh the ending no I mean not at all but I think I just the the tension I really appreciated the tension, like how fleshed out each of the characters were. It just kind of felt, it just was really, I thought it was well done. And I actually enjoyed, I like looked forward, you know, and I don't have a lot going on right now. I'm, I'm taking hmm. care of an infant. So that was a nice reprieve mm-hmm. on, on white Lotus finale day. It was like the first thing I thought of when I woke up, I was like, oh, white Lotus finale, <laughs> day. White Lotus finale it's, day. yeah, it's really fun to, I'm two episodes behind, but it's really fun to have appointment viewing with the, with the rest of the country in some way, you know? And, and so that feels like a throwback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we're all, we're not so divided. We're all, yeah. Yeah. We're all watching White Lotus. <laughs> we're all watching it like it's the Zapruder film. Like everyone was like, talk about online rabbit holes. That was, I got on <laughs> White Lotus TikTok and I'm still on White Lotus TikTok. I'm still seeing fan theories about what happens in the final episode. And it's like, I've already seen the final episode. But. I think I've decided I'm going to be Mia for Halloween, you know, <laughs> just have like a little piano. <laughs> amazing well that's all the time we have that's all the time we have for uh for this week's show 
Megan and Jenna, thank you so much for joining us. It was great chatting with you. Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die. And most of all, thanks to you, our listeners. There will be more hysteria, the last hysteria of the year, next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our senior producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer. And Fiona Pastana is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis are the sound engineers. And our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Thank you to our digital team, Nar Melkonian, Nia Kelman, Milo Kim, and Matt DeGroote. 